Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. I'm Brad Wilson. Welcome. We're glad to have you with us again today, and we hope you're enjoying these wonderful teachings of Warren Litzman. We have been in the foundation series, the foundation set of the Christ Life Walk, and this week we're starting a new study. This is going to be part one of the seven freedoms of the Christ life. So interesting. Let's get right into it. Here's Warren. This session is that I talk to you out of my heart about the things that the Spirit is saying. It is so important that you start right in this walk. Because if you don't start right, you're not going to end right. And what has proven so perilous to so many of our dear hearts who have been interested in the Christ life is that they were not willing to start right by starting right at the right place, the right point. I don't have an enemy in this message that can say they know what it is I'm talking about. I used to have a little saying that you should not argue with me until you can prove to me you know what I'm talking about. But I don't have an enemy that I feel knows what I'm talking about, especially if they're Christian. Because if you listen long enough to what it is the Spirit is saying, you will see the fullness of God's message. It is not a simple message. It is not an easy message. If it were, God wouldn't be bringing it to us at this time. Isaiah said it was line upon line and precept upon precept, here a little and there a little, Isaiah 28. What has happened to us in the last 487 years of the Reformation is that God has brought us a little here and a little there. But most of us have a religious pride brewed by Satan in us that says, I learned this, this is good, this is my security, and we don't want to move on from that. We don't want to grow any further. Probably our greatest enemy comes from our security placed in a certain rule of living, which is what religion is. Religion is a rule of living. And our greatest problem is not being willing to enlarge that rule of living, to, to hear what it is God saying and say, that's wonderful. I didn't know that before. You know how important that is? That's what's wrong with many who preach the gospel. Everything they get from God or somebody else, their inclination is, yeah, I always have known that. This is just saying it differently. I'm, I'm learning now for the first time by the Spirit to make the statement that I didn't know that before. Why is that important? I need to be loosed from that false security I had in a thought that wasn't full and complete. Now I am hearing something that is different, something that is fuller, something that is greater. And I don't want to be boxed into where I say, yeah, I've always known that. Church has always preached that. I've always read that in the Bible. I have. This is brand new. Now the Word is not new. This has always been in the Word. But me hearing it is brand new. And it doesn't hurt me to say that. But that upsets religionists. Because their security is in a rule of living that's got to be written in a constitution and the bylaws or got to be the only way. I'm directed to scriptures in the fifth chapter of Galatians, and I want you to turn there and to mark these verses with me. 
Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 1, he starts with a powerful term, stand. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now, the word stand is a forthright word that demands discipline. The original language behind this in the Greek suggests that it's like a core of military people who are told to stand. Stand erect. Stand straight. Stand at attention. A discipline is required to that. We must be careful in our growth with the Lord that we will accept discipline along the way. To just believe in your doctrine and make that a egotistical, prideful thing, saying, well, here's what I believe, this is it, may not be you standing in the discipline necessary to make that work, because I think when you stand, you're going to be open to more. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. Liberty, that's freedom. He has brought to us freedom, and Paul says, stand in the liberty of that freedom that has been brought to you by Christ. I want you to notice the wording in this verse, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. It is Christ who makes us free. It is not what we believe that makes us free. It is not what we do that makes us free. It is not what we see in the Spirit even that makes us free. It is Christ that makes us free. Now, I really bear down at this point because I talk to people and they say, well, he's saying the same things I've always said. No, I'm not. Most people say it is us believing in Christ that makes us free. That's what Litzman said. No, that's not what I'm saying. It is not us believing in Christ that makes us free. It is Christ that makes us free. It is not me doing something. It is not me believing. It is not me trying. It is not me in effort that makes me free. Now, that's why we get entangled with the yoke of bondage, because immediately when trouble and trial comes, the first thing that enters our mind by previous religion is, I didn't do it right. I failed. I failed. If I'd have done it right, I wouldn't have this trouble. If I'd have believed right, I wouldn't have this trouble. If I'd have prayed more, if I'd have fasted, if I'd have done this, if I'd have done that, because you have it in your mind, it's what you do that brings you freedom. If you believe that, then the rest of these verses apply to you, and they are horrible verses, so listen to them, so that you'll know the difference between me saying that it is Christ who is our liberty and freedom, and not our belief or trust in Him that is. Now, you do need to trust Him, and I'll get to that. But that's not where your liberty comes from. It doesn't come from your reaction to Him. It comes from Him, period. Why do you know what would happen to us if we really believed that gospel? We would believe that Christ only died at Calvary if we accept it. We would think that Jesus really didn't die at Golgotha until you in your own mind and heart say that he did. 
Well, that would be foolish. He died whether you believe it or not. That took place whether you accept it or not. Christ is real whether you accept Him or not. Jesus is an ever born-again believer whether they know it or not. It isn't just you're believing that He's there to do a great thing. He's there, period. And that's what Paul says we've got to stand in. You've got to be disciplined enough to believe that Christ is there and He is life. Not your belief in it, not your trust in it, not your work toward it, not your effort to accept it, but He's there because God says so. That's different, you see. Now, if you don't believe that, listen to what he says as we read on in verse 2. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, if you be under a law, that's not good enough either, if you believe by anything you do, you are saved. If you believe... By any effort of your own, you are saved. Christ shall profit you nothing. These are horrible words. You know what he's addressing here? He's addressing the dear brethren in the church, the Pentecostal church, started by Peter, James, and John, who said, that it's good to be saved, it's good to be filled with the Spirit, it's good to have miracles, but you better be circumcised too. Well, you don't hear many preachers preach this, do you? You don't hear many preachers tell us the truth of what was happening when Paul wrote the epistle of Galatians when he spoke these very forceful words. Peter's nearly a God to us. James and John are nearly a God to us. But Paul was talking about these believers who were very conscientious, loved God and served God, but really deep down believed it was what they did that made Christ real. So he didn't say that the church says this or God says this or the Spirit says this. He labels it right. I, Paul, say that if any of you are depending on circumcision, the Christ in you profits you nothing. Pretty strict words, aren't they? Those are hard words. Why am I speaking this like this? This is because what most of us have grown up in is this very same thing. Whether we were Presbyterians, Episcopalians, Catholics, especially Catholics and Pentecostals, they were always told, if you don't do something along with this, you won't have the blessing of God on you. Let's read on. For I testify again, verse 3, For I testify again to every man that is circumcised, or by his own self-effort to please God, that he is a debtor to the whole law. What does he mean by that? He says if you've got an inkling inside of you that it is something you're doing that makes Christ real in you, then you better keep on doing it constantly because you're not going to get anything out of Jesus. Rough words. Verse 4. Christ is become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by your self-effort. You're fallen from grace. Always, when you read grace from the mouth of Paul, the word grace, substitute Christ. You're fallen from Christ. What does he mean by that? Christ is in you. He's not saying anywhere along here, these folks didn't get saved. He never said they weren't born again. 
He didn't say they weren't holy or righteous. He said they were depending on something they do to be a Christian. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. How does Christian living come? Through the Spirit. Verse 6 says it. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision, self-effort, availeth anything, nor even your non-effort availeth anything, but faith, his faith, which worketh by love. And now it's very sad in our day that we know more about law in Christianity than we do Christ. We are so permeated with the idea that we must do something, we fail to do something, we are the ones that are God's big troublemaker, that we make the Christ in us null and void. He's always there. He's never left you. You never had an argument. You never had a down period. You never went through a crisis. You never have been in an outrage that Christ wasn't there. He was in you. He was birthed in you. He's never left you. He's never forsaken you. He's always there. But we went on doing our own thing. So when we did wrong, we said, oh my goodness, I better do right. So we prayed through. We brought an offering. We tried to make a tribute so we'd feel better. And we still ignored him. We never did form the love affair with him. So don't you see how important it is that Paul comes along saying that you are to stand in the liberty, in the freedom, wherewith Christ hath made us free and not get entangled again with this yoke of self-effort. We are so polluted in our idea of self-effort that we think the whole program of God would fall through if we just trusted Christ. If we didn't do our little thing to put it all together and make it right, we are lazy in preaching the gospel. So forcibly, God brought this to me by the Spirit this past month. We have been so lazy in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ that the average human being doesn't even know what God says in this book by His Son, Jesus Christ. We get a hold of a little idea, seven good rules, seven good points, seven good messages. And that becomes our security when God is a bountiful flow, an endless fountain, a Niagara of truth. And it requires that the preacher and the teacher stay in the Word, that that become the whole of what it is that liberates and sets people free. If he is to preach the gospel, if by the preaching of the gospel the world is to be saved, then the preacher is going to have to delve into that truth rather than come up with doctrine. He's going to have to come up with Christ, the fullness of Christ, the endlessness of Christ. There is no end to it. In this message, it has been my heart's desire to bring to people the endlessness of the Christ life truth. That while some of us think, yes, I got that down, I know the message. And others look at others and say, well, they don't know the message. That's really not the point. Knowing the message or not knowing the message is not the point. I'm not bringing you something that you can just know. I'm not giving you seven points to a message and saying, I learned these and you got it. I preached a person to you. A person. You're never going to know him entirely. You're going to know him differently in every circumstance, in every situation. It's a person we're interested in. I don't have a little sheet of paper that says, Litzman, you're saved. When I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, God put a person in me. 
That's different. I've got a person in me I don't know. I'm coming to know him. I'm growing up in him. I'm coming into his full stature. But I don't know him. And God has a right to bring up circumstances and situations in life. Hurtful ones. What appears to be mean ones. Deathly ones. All of which are saying, you'll get to know him better by this. You'll find out better who you are by this. It'll all work out by this knowledge and this understanding. I haven't wanted to bring you to bondage. I've never wanted to put God's people in bondage again. Since God ever let me get out of a wholeness church that was nothing but bondage. I wanted to bring freedom to God's people. But I wanted it to be on the basis of what this word says. I didn't even want it to be on the basis of scripture. I wanted it to be on the basis of that person who lives and moves and has his being in us. So along the way, we have developed seven glorious freedoms. And I want to give you, just briefly, in this message, the seven freedoms of the Christ life. From a different perspective, in a different listing, I want you to see Jesus, who is our freedom. Who, when he becomes our life, says, you don't have to be circumcised or uncircumcised to have me. I'm God's gift to you. You don't have to do something or run around saying, I don't have to do something. It irks me just about as much when somebody says, well, I've got Jesus in me. I don't have to do anything now. I'm irked by the uncircumcised as much as I am those who say, I've got to do this to please him. Why don't we talk about him instead of circumcision or uncircumcision? Works or no works? Just him. First glorious freedom we have in the Christ life is the freedom from self. Galatians 2 and 20. I am crucified with Christ. I still live. I'm not done away with entirely because he uses what's left of me as his container to flow through, to live in. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I. Christ liveth in me. That's my first great freedom. I'm free from self. Sure, I give a mind to flesh at times. Sure, it appears there's more self than there is spirit. But what do I know about this freedom? I know I've been set free. I know I've been delivered now. That's my first freedom. I'm delivered from self. I may get entangled with self. I may get in bondage to myself. I may have pride, self-righteousness, anger, indulgence to hit me every once in a while. But the big thing I know is I've got freedom from self. It may rise up, but it don't rule. It may come about, but it won't stay. Why? I can reckon myself dead by the death of Jesus Christ. The first great freedom we have in the Christ life is that we are liberated from self. Self-independence is a big word that I like to talk about periodically because it was Satan who was the self-independent one who came using our container. Yourself. It's nothing but the container that Christ lives in right now. Previously, your body and mind were used by Satan to make you independent of God because that's Satan's attack against God. That's what self is. One who considers himself independent of God. We really never were, but Satan had us deceived into believing that. Now then that Christ has become our life, we are free once and for all from this self-independence. It doesn't hurt us now to say that God is our all and in all Because we've turned this container, this self-being, over to another spirit. 
Just because there's manifestations of the flesh periodically does not mean we don't have our freedom. It's just like we in America have our freedom bought and purchased for us by the independents uh, in 1776. We may still be attacked by somebody, but we put them right down. They're not going to take our freedom away from us. We've got more internal attacks in America than we've ever had. Pornography, abortion, uh, alcoholism, uh, homosexuality. We've got all sorts of attacks within us, but none of that can take away our freedom. Our freedom from our self-destruction has already been bought and purchased in America, and we live as free Americans. Even if they shoot us down in a war, we're still free. We've been free. It's that way with a Christian. I will not come under the yoke of bondage again of feeling that I have to free myself. I've been freed by the cross. I'm freed at Calvary. I'm identified in his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And I rule over self. The second great freedom we have is freedom over sin. Now this is where religion has so greatly deceived us. Because religion cannot operate without the sin question at the focal point. There's no way religion can operate and run its plants and buildings and institutions. But what? It doesn't say to people periodically, if you don't quit your sinning and do right, you won't have God's blessings. Because that guilt that comes from our sinning is what operates religion and keeps it going. We didn't have a majority of people on Sunday to go to church because they love God. There were many who did. But the majority who go to church on Sunday go because if they don't go, they feel bad. Or that they feel failed. Or that they're guilty. That's what operates religion. It's the guilt of it. We have studied again and again the message of sin as it comes to us in the new creation life. This message is plainly written in John's epistles. In 1 John chapter 3, we see four times in one chapter what it means to be born of God. Birthed by God the Father. One of these times, he says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. Now you talk about a freedom that liberates us and sets us free, that ought to be it. If you didn't know religion, if you didn't know the law, if you had never heard somebody say, you must be circumcised to please God, you would not know any other truth other than whoever is born of God cannot commit sin against God. Wouldn't that be astounding? If you could stand in that liberty and know that's all there was to it? But we don't really believe that. We say, well, I did sin. I did do wrong. Because we don't know the Scriptures and the Word is not preached to us from the Christ life. We end up saying, well, I did sin and I had to go pray through. I was backslid and I had to get right with God. Just like God never knew what He was talking about. Just like John spoke a mouthful of mush. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. What if that were the only thing you knew about God? Yeah, brother, but... But we do sin. You're not telling me about God when you say that. You're saying to me something that come out of religion. You're telling me that religion told you you couldn't live it. That you were not really free. 
God hadn't really liberated you and set you free. Religion had come along and told you, you can't live it. You've got to have us. You've got to have our rules and our regulations. And guilt's the only thing that will bring you back to the house of God. Nobody ever told us simply that when you're born of God, you cannot commit sin. What did John say in his first chapter? He says, if any man, not God, this is so important. If you didn't mark this in those verses he gives us in the first chapter, you need to go through them later and mark them. He says, if any man commit a sin, ah, whoever's born of God cannot commit sin. But he said, if any man commits a sin. Now, here we have the differentiation. Whoever is born of God has God's seed in him, and he cannot sin against God. But a man can commit a sin. What kind of a sin? A sin that he himself wills to commit. Any man saith he hath no sin, he lies, and the truth is not in him. So what does he do? Chapter 2 says that we have an advocate with the Father. When you commit a sin against yourself, you ask God to forgive you, and he will forgive you. Why did I say against ourselves? Because it was a sin of the flesh. It was not a sin of the Spirit against God, because whosoever is born of God cannot commit that sin. The second great freedom the believer has is the understanding of sin. Satan tricks you every time you commit a sin of the flesh, which is really against yourself. All you did was hurt yourself. You can't hurt God. A fellow said to me that I said, Well, I sure sinned against God. God told me to pray and I didn't do it. I said, friend, you didn't sin against God. You sinned against yourself. Nobody's hurt by that but you. You're the ones hurt. That's a sin of your flesh. You knew to do right and you didn't do it. Sin unto you. Sin that comes because of your misunderstanding or your lack of giving a mind to the Spirit. Sin of the flesh. You see, we're tricked into losing our freedom by saying, well, I'll get back into the grace of God because I'll do what He told me to do. No, you won't do anything to be in Christ. There's nothing you can do to be in Christ. What you'll do is to come back to your father as a son and say, Father, I knew to do something right and I didn't do it. But you never have the thought that I'm separated from him who has birthed me because I'm his child. And his seed remaineth in me. And I cannot be separated from him unless I will it myself. Your second freedom is the understanding of sin. You don't have to go through life bound by sin. Parents feel like, well, I must be bad sinners because of what I did to my children. Or I must be a bad sinner because God's just quit blessing this business. Or I must be a bad sinner because look at my, my body. It's just right with pain. And I'm sick and diseased. That's religion talking. That's not a word that comes from the mouth of God. That's the retranslation of religion into your life. You're birthed and born of God. Sure, you're going to feel guilty at times. Tell him you're sorry and get up and go on your way. That's a freedom we have in Christ. Nothing has ever blessed me like the children and coming and saying, I'm sorry I did that. You know what I wanted to do? I almost wanted to bless them for doing wrong. I felt so good when they told me they were sorry. That's the way my Heavenly Father is. I'm His Son. 
I'm his child. If I do wrong, he says, come and tell me. But don't think that the love that I give you can be bought. Don't come making a deal with me. Don't come saying, well, I'll never do it again, and this is what I'm going to do to make up for it. He said, confess your sin, and your Father is faithful. And just to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. This is a freedom we're coming into. Don't let the devil cheat you out of it. Our third freedom is the freedom over Satan. This is one of our hardest subjects to deal with because we've made Satan such a playmate in our religious life that we feel badly if we don't have him to play with. And sometimes I talk to people and I feel like I'm taking away their last toy. Because if they didn't have Satan to blame it on, if they didn't have somebody to rebuke over it, if they didn't have somebody to run after all the time. Listen, I want to tell you something. Did you know it's a whole lot simpler and easier to love God and to pray to God in love than it is to rebuke the devil? You know what hard work it is rebuking the devil? Especially when you really get down to the nitty gritty of blaming him for everything. Well, you almost feel like you failed God if anything bad happens and you don't rebuke the devil. You can't flow with life. I knew uh, a dear lady one time that everything that happened was the devil. From the dog barking next door, she, she stood at the window and rebuked the devil out of that dog. And you know, that can bother you so bad you feel like that is maybe the devil attacking you. But she had missed the point. It had been a whole lot simpler to say, Father, would you take care of that dog? It had been a lot more love on her part. And I think she'd have ended up with less guilt because when the dog didn't stop barking, she took it all to herself that I just don't have power over the devil. Oh, what an awful trap to get in. That's why Paul said, the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God because I don't want to get in this trap again where I have to be the one that rules over the devil. I have been freed from Satan because he who is within me has already licked the devil. Now that doesn't mean that I don't have to face him at times. He in me wants him to be faced at times. But that's where the gift of discerning of spirits come in. One of the nine spiritual ministries of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12 is discernment of spirits. What is discernment of spirits? That's a mind thing where I know whether or not that enemy that stands against me is a God-instituted thing or whether God's expecting me to take authority over Satan. I must know the difference. Because what we're already finding out now by this study is that half of us have been fighting things that God really put there to help us. <laughs> Don't you see that? Don't you look back on it now and see that there were a number of things that God put there Himself and allowed and we started off fighting the devil and missed the whole thing God was doing. When in love, we could have known by the Holy Spirit that this is God doing this and we with Paul might have said, I asked the Lord three times to take it away and when He didn't, I got down to a serious talk with Him and said, All right, Lord, what is it you want me to do? And the Lord said to me, I'll give you strength to bear this because I'm going to get greater glory in you bearing this thorn in the flesh than me getting rid of it. Now, isn't that a whole lot more precious than heaping guilt and condemnation on yourself and fighting and running after the devil when all the time it was God doing it? I've been freed from having to lick the devil myself. And if God says to me, Litchman, I put that enemy there for you to rebuke in my name, I'll speak the name of Jesus and believe it's rebuked. I'm not going to stand there and argue with the devil. He's a defeated foe. He's defeated. That's what I like about less. He more and more blesses my heart. 
because he's gone through another crisis and he didn't tell a soul about it. I'm sure he told the father, but the son within him rose up and the son within him gave him wisdom and said, we'll just wait. We'll not be in a hurry. It'll all work out. He didn't run off rebuking the devil and rebuking the doctors that didn't get it done and tell all of us, pray, let's have a prayer meeting, let's get this thing solved because he that was in him is greater than the devil. That's a freedom you have. That's one of our freedoms, praise God. Our fourth freedom is freedom over our bodies. We have freedom over these bodies we're living in. Now, all your life, you have learned to give a mind to the pulls that are in your body. We have very strongly taught in the Christ life that the pulls that come out of the body must be made secondary or under subjection to the pulls of the Spirit. If your body constantly pulls and says, this is what I want and this is what I'm going to do, and you give a mind to it, then you're not free. The only way you're free is when you give this mind to the Christ within you. Let this mind that was also in Christ Jesus be in you. That's when you're free. That's when you flow freely. That's what I liked about what Les said, because the Spirit within him said, we'll trust God. That was wisdom. That was inner wisdom coming up this way. I don't think he asked Clara. He didn't ask me. I don't know if he asked Charles, but he didn't even say he asked God. He just hid it away in his heart and said, I'll trust him. Now, I'm going to tell you, that's bringing the body under subjection to the Spirit. I'm maintaining strongly we've let the body get out of hand. And I'm not going to lie to you. I talked to Keith Walters a few days ago, and he said, we have a great cure. He's working at the detoxification hospital, the clinic, the Garrison Clinic in Tijuana, uh, out of uh, San Diego. And, and he said, he said, this is the greatest thing that ever was. But he said, we get a hold of people here that are too gone. He said, God has planted me here now with the Christ life message to give them some hope for eternity. Because he said, a good percentage of them we get are too near gone. There's no way they're going to last till we can get the liver detoxified. And it takes months to detoxify a liver. It's your liver that's your problem. <laughs> It'd be good to have the liver in you, but I'm talking about the, the other liver. And he says, the, the most awful thing I have to do for it to become my responsibility is to handle these people who come in here near dead on stretchers with cancers thinking that this is a miracle cure but he says the body's too far gone we can't get a hold of them we can't begin the process of detoxification and help them and said I have to I have to be with them when they die and help take care of them then that's my job and when he said it I thought that's what's happened to us our bodies have ruled and reigned over us for so long a time that when finally we begin to get wisdom and the knowledge of the Lord begins to flow, it's very difficult to get the body under subjection. I believe that if this Christ life message grips you properly, your body will be healed. Again and again it will be healed to where God will have to take you when you die. But you know why it's so hard on some of us? Our bodies rule so long. We've got so much pollution and disease in the body that by the time this, this river of living water begins flowing out of us, it takes too long. Some of you don't last till it can purify the body because you're hurting or in pain so greatly. So I say to you in love, this is a freedom. The fourth freedom of the Christ life is we can rule over these bodies. It's like Dorothy said, 
We need to first start taking care of the body properly. Feeding it right. Putting the right food into it. That's the wisdom that comes from within. Oh, I know how easy it is to deaden that voice. I used to go to bed night after night through the years with a with with a belliousness in my stomach because I hadn't eaten right, ate the wrong stuff before I went to bed, and it would start coming up on me again. And I realized as I look back now, that was Christ in me saying, screaming to me, stop it, quit it, take care of the body. And I was an evangelist. I felt like I had to have a beefsteak every night after meeting because I'd worked so hard, you know. But that voice was there, and now I'm listening to it. Thank God it isn't too late. Because I believe his, his life is going to bring health in our bodies. But I'm going to tell you, if the body's out of control and too far gone, then you do have his life. But you may not get that body under subjection. Lord, don't worry at that. Don't give up. Keep on believing. But I want to show how important it is right now where you are at this moment. You have freedom over that body. Don't live the rest of the life with it telling you what to do. You tell that body what to do. You tell that body what you think. You see, it's hard to do it. It's like people tell me indicting. Well, I tried and I just couldn't do it. That's because that body has such a hold on you. But remember this in spirit. Every time you cannot do in body what you know you ought to do, that's a good sign that flesh has ruled over spirit a long time in your walk with God. Okay, we're going to stop right here for this week. How interesting has this study been? Part one of the seven freedoms of the Christ life. This is all part of the foundation series of the Christ life walk as taught by Warren Litzman. Visit our website, if you will, christ-life.org. Read all about us. Read all about the Christ Life Walk and the Christ Life Message. And don't forget to go to our bookstore when you're there because you can find a lot of this material left behind by Warren in that bookstore. Our thanks to Robbie Litzman for allowing us to go into the archives each week. Also, we'd like to thank Valerie Hill for doing our Twitter account. Tammy Laycock, thank you for doing our weekly podcast reports. And this program is produced weekly by the wonderful and talented Teresa Ferraro from the Christ Life Fellowship. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ Life.